many Christians around the world, um, they, um, they often observe what we call Lent or the Lenten season. Perhaps some of you came out of churches that did that regularly each year. But you know what that is? Lent, very simply, is a way to prepare and to be reminded of what Christ did on the cross and that three days later He rose again, recognizing that the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. The Apostle Paul says, without it, then everything we do is in vain. So, doing what the video suggested in preparing our body and our mind, preparing to observe and to celebrate Christ's sacrifice on the cross and to celebrate, to remember His sacrifice, to celebrate His resurrection from the dead, it is a time to reflect on our lives. It's a time to reflect on our relationship with God and perhaps to embrace change. Now, change is not always easy, but certainly it is, as that saying goes, the one constant in life, is it not? Things around us are always changing. God is changing us. As we let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us, He is changing. As we say here at Trinity, we are learning, we are growing. And serving together as we grow, we are changing. But in preparation, even for next week of Palm Sunday and then Resurrection Sunday, it can be a time of preparation. Whatever that might look like for you, we know that as believers, it's something we should be doing all year round, not just once, you know, um, 40 days prior. But we can take the opportunity to just kind of reflect, take a step back, and say, how are we preparing to be good stewards of what God has given us? Even more specifically, how are we preparing for the future? How are we preparing for the return of the Lord? We know, I think very clearly, we teach it here, that Christ could return for His church at any moment. And I hope you believe that. But we are called to be prepared for that. Not anxious, but anticipating anticipating with joy and with gladness so that even more of a reason for us to live out our faith, to seek holiness and righteousness in our own lives, but also to share the good news of His coming, His first coming and His return for us. And in all of that, even in the midst of God calling out His people in our text in Malachi for their disobedience, for their indifference, he still reminds them that there is hope. And that is the message that we all need today. Don't we always need to hear a message of hope? There was um, a mother who shares this story about a relationship with her and her husband and her young child. She says, when our middle son Ben was much younger, he had heard more than one sermon about the importance of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And so Ben seemed well attuned to the heart of God. He exhibited the selfless and kind tendencies that would take some, even like me as mother, a lifetime of sanctification to acquire. So my husband and me weren't sure why Ben stubbornly resisted our gentle invitations for him to give his life to Christ. He would never offer any explanations. He would simply tell us, as best he could in his preschool English, he just wasn't ready. 
He resisted for several months. And then one morning, we sat around the kitchen table, eating our Cheerios, and little Ben announced that he was ready to give his life to Jesus Christ. He then got up from the table, and he went upstairs to his room. My husband and I looked at each other, and we followed him up there. I guess we expected to find Ben on his knees in prayer, but we didn't. Instead, we found him folding his Star Wars pajamas, putting them into his Sesame Street suitcase. We said, Ben, what are you doing? He answered, packing. Why, we asked. To go to heaven, he said. We then, at that moment, understood why our child hesitated to give his life to Christ. He thought that in doing so, he would have to leave us and take up residence literally with Christ in heaven at that moment. And she ends with this, a word for all of us. We should all possess the faith of our little Benjamin. We should have our hearts so fixed on Christ's appearance and His return for us that the attachments of our earthly life pale in comparison. As it says in Hebrews 11, for we are aliens and strangers on earth longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Amen? So as we look at our passage today, Malachi 2, 17-3-6, I'm going to read it. And you'll see God is still having this back and forth with his, his people. And he gives them a judgment, a, a, a condemnation because of their conduct, their disobedience, their indifference. And they respond back, sort of being clueless, like, how did we do that? And then he answers them. Now, even in the midst of God meeting out his judgment and saying, because of your disobedience, your apathy, your indifference, there will be consequences What he does, which is the great hope for us, is he reminds them that he is a covenant God. We talked a lot about that word covenant in our community groups this week in reference to marriage when we talked about it in relationships last week. God reminds them that I am the greatest promise keeper there ever was. I made a promise to you. I will keep it. Now, in the meantime, if you're disobedient, you may not enjoy the blessings of my promises, but it does not negate negate those promises being made for you, and I will keep them. So here's what it says, Malachi 2.17-3, verse 6. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He even delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, this is God speaking now, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. They will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, 
as in the days of old, and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not even fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You see, the people have already questioned God's love, His majesty, His grandeur, His fidelity, and now they raise the issue of His justice. Where is this God of justice? They cry out to Him. God said that He would judge the wicked. And they look around and they see the wicked prospering. They have argued that they are all right and that the fault lies with God and not them. So now they charge God with being unfair in His dealings. They even say, everyone who does evil is good. In the sight of the Lord, He delights in them. They're saying, where is this good and evil? It seems, God, like like You even reward those who are evil. You must not even be a God of justice. They think that He doesn't discriminate between evil and good. So they call out to God, God, where is this God of justice? Where is Your justice? So here is God's response. Three ways. First, He responds to their call. Where is the God of justice? First, He says, I'm going to send the messenger. So again, remember, He's the God of promise. And He's saying, here is how I will make sure that you know that you can have hope and trust in Me, that I am the God of justice because I will send the messenger to prepare the way of the Lord. That's what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. So Malachi speaks of God's coming judgment. And then Malachi introduces the messenger as God's means of announcing His judgment. But with that judgment, there is always hope. Who is that messenger that Malachi is speaking of? It is none other than John the Baptist. If you remember, in Malachi, we say that he is the final prophet of the Old Testament, right? And then after him comes about 400 years of silence from God. No more prophets, no more direct word from God in that sense. He, of course, is active, but not in the way that we've seen all through the Old Testament. But what happens after that time of silence, after Malachi? Who comes on the scene? Who is the very last prophet in God's full economy? It is John the Baptist. And what is he called to do but to prepare the way of the Lord? You see? So God is promising His people, yes, there's consequences to your disobedience, but I am the promise keeper. And I will keep my promise to you, my people of Israel. And He says, I will. Be the God of justice always. And here's how you will know, because I will send that messenger. You remember that one of the biggest reasons, this is important for us to remember, that one of the biggest reasons that they had grown indifferent and apathetic in their worship and in their love for God and in their obedience was because they had heard about this promised Messiah. It's about a hundred years, remember after the temple was rebuilt, they came back from exile, remember all that? It's important to keep that history in mind. And now they're saying, we just don't see it, God. We've lost hope. 
We've kind of lost our interest. We don't see it happening. So you want offerings? Okay, take the, the blemished lamb, the sick lamb. Remember all that? But God is saying here, no, I will be worshipped because I am the God of justice. Here's how you know. I will send the messenger. And after the Old Testament closes, we open the New Testament, and we see in the Gospels the story of the next and the last prophet, and that is John the Baptist. So that is who he is referring to. Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Here's what it says in Matthew 11, 7 through 10. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before God. See, that's Jesus talking of John the Baptist, right? Referencing back to Malachi. But here's the thing. What is his message? What is the message of John the Baptist? It is repentance. Repent and be baptized. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. As in Malachi with all the other prophets was the same message ultimately of John the Baptist was repentance. Look at this in Mark chapter 1, the first four verses, just the opening of Mark. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of forgiveness of sins. See, that is what Malachi is prophesying, that the messenger will come. So God is responding to His people who say, who is this God of justice? God says, first of all, I will send that messenger. It is going to be John the Baptist. We know that. Jesus talks of him and refers back to it. But here's an important distinction. What does it mean to repent? Did you ever think about that? There's lots of things that we might consider that go along with the definition or understanding of repentance. But I want to make sure we know the biblical meaning and description of true repentance is very simply this. You change your mind. Many of us have thought, and we have this idea of it's like doing a 180, and you're, you know, you're, you're sinning, and you say, I don't want to sin anymore, and I'm going this way. There's an element of that. But ultimately, what we want to focus on is this changing of our mind. That's what that word repentance means. The true basic meaning is you change your mind. So what is John the Baptist saying? And then when Jesus calls his disciples to go and and, re- and say, repent. And when Jesus does it Himself, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What, it, what does it mean? It means change your mind. Don't be indifferent any longer, any longer apathetic to the fact that the messenger is coming and, and God is sending the, the promised Messiah. He says, 
Jesus is the one. So change your mind. You thought He would never come? He is here. and He is the one. That's what it means to repent. It means to change your mind and your thinking. So He's calling people to repent. Don't be indifferent any longer. God has fulfilled His promise. He is sending the messenger of the covenant. Now it says that in chapter 3, verse 1. So John the Baptist is the messenger who will prepare the way. But then it says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into His temple and He is the messenger of the covenant. Did not Jesus say the Last Supper that this is the new covenant in My blood? Didn't Jesus bring the new covenant? We have the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. The New Testament, the new covenant. You see that? All in Christ's blood. So the messenger of the covenant is the Lord Jesus. It's amazing that even in the midst of God revealing judgment to His people, He gives them a reminder of hope that with Him there is always hope. They may, they may miss out on enjoying His blessings because of their disobedience for now. But His love is an everlasting love. and He will one day mete out justice as He had said. So the second way that God responds. Remember their question is, where is this God of justice? We don't see it. So He says, I will send My messenger and the messenger of the covenant. Second, He is saying here, the Lord will come to His temple. It says suddenly, He will come into His temple. The Father sent John the Baptist and His Son to prepare us for the great judgment. The purpose of the messenger of the covenant he says in Malachi, is to refine the people of God. They had lost hope. They had become indifferent. But God reminds them they can have hope. But how is He doing it? Like a refining fire. Do you think that that can sometimes be painful in our lives? But we, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, He will work as a refining fire. The messenger of the covenant is Jesus. He is in His temple. It says He will come into His temple. Zechariah talked about it. Ezekiel talked about it. See, Malachi's two preceding oracles, they identified serious problems in the temple worship. Remember? He talked about the Levites and the way they were offering up this defiled worship. And so now, in God's response, He's basically saying, I will be worshipped the right way. Because the messenger of the covenant, who we know is to be Jesus, will come into the temple. See, will come into the temple. Jesus will refine like fire. Or like the launderer's soap. It says in verse 3, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Remember who they were? They were the priests, right? The Levites, the priests, the religious leaders. So he had just gotten done condemning them and judging them for offering up inadequate worship. And now he says, no, no, no. I will be worshipped. Even if it takes a refining of the religious leaders. A refining of my people overall. I will be worshipped. So there was problems in the temple worship. So he says, the coming of the Lord to His temple, that is how. You will know that I'm a God of justice. And because I am, I will be worshipped. You see that? That's so important. And then Malachi 3 
2 to 5, almost the rest of that passage, he speaks about that day. He's saying, who will be able to endure that day? In verse 2, who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. There's a couple of things that He's referring to here, I believe. First of all, we know as the church, we await that great day of hope when the Lord returns. We call it the rapture, right? When He returns, we meet Him in the air. See, the clear distinction is that that is not His second coming. Because He does not come to earth, we meet Him in the air, see? He takes away the, the, the church and we come up with Him. Get our glorified bodies, the dead in Christ rise first. And why? That is all preparation, our word for this morning. Preparation for the kingdom. For the millennium kingdom where we will reign with Him. See? That's all in preparation. But then we know, of course, comes the great tribulation. Those seven years where God, through Jesus Christ, is refining His people. Those who are left, and especially His people Israel, refining them. Why? In preparation of God's kingly reign on His throne, the throne of David, in Jerusalem for this thousand years. It's all about preparation. So Malachi is saying, who can even stand for that? Who can endure that? Who can endure judgment? None of us can without the Lord Jesus Christ. So who will endure? or Who will make it through the rapture? The church. Who will endure when the Lord returns in His second coming at the end of the tribulation? Who will endure that? Those who give their life to Christ. Without Him, recognizing Him for who He is, then no one can endure that day. But it is all in preparation for the way that God is ending history. You see, and it's all laid out for us, I believe, in Scripture. It's beautiful. There is many reasons why we should study what's called eschatology or the end times, the future things. That's important. We are to keep our eyes above where Christ is, remembering that this is not our true home, right? That we are citizens of heaven. We are spiritual beings. God has blessed us with these temples. Yes, you are a blessing. Your body is a blessing. doesn't always feel like it, but it is. We have these earthen vessels, right, it says. But that is all temporary. But what we do here, church, is in preparation for something so much greater. So much greater. And then finally, he says, I am the God of justice. And here's how you will know. Because I will mete out my judgment on the people of Israel, the Levites, and then all people. Because of that, because He saves us, through His grace, and gives us what we don't deserve by being merciful and gracious to us, we can have hope. Therefore, we end with verse 6, the final uh, words in this fourth oracle from Malachi. He basically says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. But we can take that promise to heart this morning as well, church. That Basically, he's saying, yes, you deserve eternal judgment. You deserve eternal separation from God because of sin. 
You deserve, he's telling the people of Israel, to be destroyed. But though the Lord is wearied by your words, He does not change. His purposes remain and He stands true forever. That is our hope. That God has made promises and He keeps those promises. So we can often say like the people of Israel, when God, when will You come? We watch the news, we see what's going on around us and we say, God, how much more can You possibly stand? Every generation said the same thing. We are talking about this morning in our prayer time. Here we are 2,000 some years later. Right? And the early church thought, surely He's coming back tomorrow. But that's all in God's timing. So then what is our responsibility? To be prepared. To be prepared. What does that look like? We share our faith. So we are spreading the Gospel. Why would God wait 2,000 years and who knows how much longer? Because God has a heart of compassion and doesn't want anyone to be lost. So the more time He is patiently waiting to mete out this judgment and to bring about those end time, to bring about the end of His economy and His history and His story, the more time we have as His representatives to live out the faith, to be true, to seek righteousness and holiness and to share our faith with others. But the fact that God does not change should give us such great hope. Because we may change and waver in our faith and trust, but God does not change. Isaiah 40, 1-5 are comforting words to God's people. As they're coming out of exile, there is still coming judgment. He says, if you obey, you'll be blessed. And if you do, then you're preparing the way. Prepare the way of God. It's like rolling out the red carpet. Leveling the playing field. Look at what it says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand. And double for all her sins. That simply means that their time of exile is just about over. And a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's one crying out in the wilderness. It is John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. But to show His patience and His compassion and His grace in His heart to forgive, the Lord continues His plan of redemption. So we might look around and say, God, there's no way that this can continue for another few years. God must be coming. Jesus must be returning soon. But God is long-suffering and compassionate and full of grace and truth, so He continues His plan of redemption, and He uses the church to do that. See? What a great responsibility we have. He does not yet come in judgment because of a gracious act. People change. We doubt His goodness and His promises, but our comfort as believers is the truth that the Lord does not change. So, because He loves His people, He'll send His messenger He'll send the messenger of the covenant, the Lord Jesus, and He will in the future at some point 
return as judge. We recognize that as well, right? When Jesus came in his first advent, his first um, his first advent in coming to earth, he came to bring what? Salvation, forgiveness of sins, peace and joy in him. He came to offer himself. But after he takes up the church, after that time of great tribulation, when he returns, he returns in judgment. He returns as the great king and judge to rule on his throne. So now is the time to be prepared for the future. Preparing your own heart for Christ's return. We are to prepare now. And I end with this one, Hosea 10.12. Great passage. Look what it says. Great visual. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers His righteousness on you. It is time. It's springtime. But it could be springtime in your heart. See? Prepare the way of the Lord in your own life. Hosea put it that way. He says, break up your unplowed ground and then sow righteousness. He's saying, you know what? You've grown indifferent. The ground where things can grow in your heart, that soil is not fertile. It hasn't been tilled up. It's flat. It's hard. He says, break it up. Begin preparing for the harvest before you even plant the seed don't you need to prepare the soil right so he's saying that's what we should be doing we should take that to heart as a church as well for he is returning soon so now is the time to break up our own unplowed ground and sow righteousness and we should do it for how long how long should we seek the lord and being prepared Until He comes. We don't know the day, the time, the hour. But when He comes, He showers His righteousness on us. Thank God that He has already done that for us in Jesus Christ. So all we can do is worship Him and await His return. We are to share the Gospel in preparing the way of the Lord. Live in peace and harmony with one another. Be obedient to His ways. How do we prepare the way of the Lord? Leave justice in His hands. Keep the hope, remembering that He is sovereign. And we are to seek righteousness and holiness. 2 Peter 3 says these words, According to Peter, here's what the scoffers say. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Doesn't it sound familiar? It happened 400 years ago in Malachi. And now here we are 400 years later, and the people have the same issue. The scoffers are saying, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. How about that? Ah, nothing's going to change. It's the same. He's never going to return. God will never send His Messiah. Our ancestors died waiting. Nothing has changed. Peter's saying that's what the scoffers say. But then he reminds us that the Lord's waiting means salvation for more of His people. The Lord, it says in verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See that? He wants everybody's mind to be changed 
about His Son Jesus. And finally, Peter provides this important reminder for us in verses 11 to 14. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat, but in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with Him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your powerful Word. It speaks truth to us. It speaks life. That we are to be prepared. To be preparing for Your return. But along the way, preparing the way of the Lord in our own hearts. God, we are so grateful. We have hearts of joy and thanksgiving that You are truly a promise keeper that we can have hope of the future we can have hope of our own destiny but only only if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ then your word tells us we will be saved God for those of us who are already believers who trust in that truth for our eternal salvation we wait we wait eagerly for your return But until then, God, we know that we are to help prepare the way of the Lord. Starting with our own hearts, having that change of mind, recognizing that we need to have the right perspective and focus, take the opportunity perhaps to do some spring cleaning in our own spirit, in our own minds. To put away all of the old thinking, the things that that lead to indifference and apathy, and to embrace the new, the new life you've given us. For that old has gone, but the new has come. We look forward to that. We look forward to the great harvest. We look forward to the springtime in our lives. But God, we need to be prepared and be preparing for it. So God, would you work through your spirit to do that, to remind us of your great word, remind us of your great son, and that you remind us the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our life as we let Him lead the way that we are then preparing the way of the Lord. And God, we cannot say thank you enough. We give you all the blessing and glory. Do that in Jesus' name. Amen.